What's it like to live out your 90s rock star dreams? We're going to talk about that and lots more on today's episode of Music Therapy. Welcome to Music Therapy. I'm Jessica Risker. I'm a musician based here in Chicago, Illinois, and I am also a licensed clinical professional counselor. Music Therapy is a mental health podcast for musicians and music fans, and we talk about creativity, mental health, and music careers, and everything else that falls under those umbrellas. Today, I am talking with Annie Fish. Uh, before I get into a little bit more about Annie, let me make a couple announcements. There's a couple shows coming up that I want to tell you guys about. The first is on October 5th. And uh, on October 5th at Sleeping Village, my band will be opening for Vanishing Twin. Um, Vanishing Twin is an amazing band. I am so excited to open and play at Sleeping Village. So I hope you guys can come out and get tickets at Sleeping Village website. And on uh, Wednesday, that's a Wednesday, October 5th. And on the next Wednesday, October 12th, we are doing um, our October group session uh, live at Cafe Mustache. I talk with a full band. Uh, we get into how the band works, the music that they're making, and they give a live performance. And October's band is Asi Asi, a Chicago band. And I'm so excited to have them on. I hope you guys can make, make it out. If you want to learn more about that show go to musictherapypodcast.com and uh, you can you can check out the event you can listen to old episodes and get all kinds of information there i hope you guys have been doing well it's a beautiful almost fall day let's get back to annie fish annie fish is a musician cartoonist and author based in chicago and in this episode annie and i talk about their new album weird like me Annie just released this album on Friday, September 16th and had a release show um, Saturday night at Kohl's, which I went to and was amazing. Um, Annie and uh, Brian Wiesa on bass played sort of a stripped down version of Annie's songs in a very um, VH1 behind the music style and it totally worked. The album rocks. I can't wait for you guys to hear. We have a couple tracks that we're going to play. And the album is also, um, there's a concept to it. It's a, it's a, quote, fake record from 1994 and is as much about trying to recreate the memory of an alternative album as it is taking the era of the 90s to task. I'm excited for you guys to hear more about the concept and execution of this album. So without further ado... Here's my conversation with Annie Fish. Annie, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I start out every episode with the same question. Can you describe a typical week in your life these days? A typical week in my life these days, uh, will my work schedule my paying the bill schedule has me working saturday sunday monday right now so my week uh feels opposed to most people's weeks and that i don't know how to start it come tuesday um tuesday is probably resting wednesday will be coming together and trying to work on something most recently trying to cover David Bowie songs, as I so often do, my personal practice. Thursday, Friday, more of the same with more napping. <laughs> what do you do for work on the weekend? I make coffee. I am a barista. That is, that is the trade I have uh, stuck myself with over, over the last 15 years. Do you <clears throat> find that that work is conducive to making music? Uh, yes, uh, because it's often quite flexible, uh, or at least I seek out places that allow it to be flexible. Mm -hmm. Um, and also, uh, you know, you, you meet interesting people in such a job like that. And you can, your job is to talk to them to a certain extent mm -hmm. and, uh, you can learn a lot and meet nice people, um, and sort of get fired up by a community if you're in the right place. Okay. And so 
the days where you are working on music, what is your practice look like? Is it very disciplined? Is it how are you feeling? What does that feel like for you? What does it feel like? Um, I like to, I think I like to pretend it's disciplined, though it is very haphazard, I think. Uh, I like to get the space looking like I'm about to do something serious in it. Uh-huh. But mostly that means I'm uh, taking books off of a guitar amp uh-huh. <laughs> so that I can see it when I need to use it. Um, so it's, 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 a, it's a lot of sort of aesthetic placement of objects so that I, uh, I feel like I'm trying to trick myself into thinking, ah, yes, I'm in the studio now and not my bedroom. That's, I mean, that's funny that you say that because whenever I'm feeling the urge to make music or write, the first step is to, I'm sitting in the, our, our music room right now and it's to clean off the desk, get it all. There's something about it that feels like it's a preparatory. Yeah. Well, you want, again, I, and I think it's, it's important to keep, uh, even if you have the same room for more than one thing, mm-hmm. um, if it, if it were to look the same all the time, uh, I think it would, it would sort of muddy the intent of what you're about to make in there. Mm-hmm. That That's a little more serious sounding, <laughs> but it, it would like, you don't want to, it's like, you don't want to eat in bed. Right. You know, you don't want to mix. You need to have separate spaces for different things. Are you sitting in your music making area right now? I am. Yes. Um, well, I mean, usually actually, I, I will admit I do uh, metaphorically eat in bed and I will. Um, <laughs> you, you metaphorically eat in bed? I metaphorically eat in, in bed. I will I will cut a, a keyboard track sitting on the bed and not at this desk right now. If, you know, I just need to do it. And okay. <laughs> okay. So, so getting ready to work on some music first is yes. preparing the space. Yes. And then next is giving up on all of that and sitting back down in bed <laughs> to do it anyway. <laughs> okay. And are there certain times of days that you find you're more inclined to create? Um. Yeah, I do. Uh, Mid morning, I think. Mm-hmm. Recently, I've been making um, sort of. There's more louder uh, elements in the in the tunes I've been working on. So, mm-hmm. a little bit of it is I don't want to seem rude to the rest of the world, uh-huh. even though I'm a, a bit fortunate in where I am right now, and and that like volume isn't that much of an issue. Um, as I live with, uh, I live with a bunch of musicians who are are often honking a saxophone or Uh other instruments at all hours not all hours but most hours um which is is nice (laughs) is there a house cutoff time like a agreed upon quiet i think i I think it can't get crazy past like 10 okay like 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 absolutely bonkers but you know you they can still be like a sonata at midnight Uh i've heard a sonata at midnight in this house (laughs) It was quite nice. Um, but I am often very embarrassed about making too much noise in general as a human and as a musician. Um, so I try to keep, if I have to make like loud noise, I try to do that uh, in more in the early or the middle of the day. The embarrassment about making loud noise is that, you know, just not wanting to disturb people or is that feeling really vulnerable when you're trying to work out ideas? it takes down um i think it's it's def there's it's definitely both a little bit um part of it is just like fear of like getting in trouble like fear of detention like i Uh feel like you like it's that kind of similar sort of like oh breaking the law (laughs) kind of thing uh but a little bit I, i it feels like if if i'm too loud someone's gonna come in and i'm gonna be in the middle of something and they're gonna see that and that sounds like embarrassing to me like if it'd be like caught with one's you know pants down metaphorically Mm -hmm. hopefully so you are also working on some david bowie songs and i know you're a huge david bowie fan but i think i think i know that there's also a goal with some david bowie songs you're working on right now is that correct 
Um, there's a few goals with different David Bowie things uh, I'm working on. I, I'm my band right now. We are getting ready to perform a a uh, a, f- a full cover of the record Diamond Dogs uh-huh. uh, in in concert, which is a horrific undertaking, but very exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not actually working on that right now. I've just been covering a different record of his. Oh, okay. Because yeah, uh, when through in a. In 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 2020, I started doing this of uh, just covering David Bowie songs, mm-hmm. and I've this this is the third one of his records that I've done in full when I finished this one. Okay, um, so it becomes a sort of weirdly calming exercise uh-huh. to to do that. What do you get out of covering? You said it's it's kind of a calming exercise. What do you get out of covering the David Bowie songs? I get um, an appreciation for the craft of the songs, mm-hmm. um, a, a mechanical one of how they work together, how they how they fit together, sort of the, the nitty gritty of how a song is made, um, which feels enriching and exciting. Because um, I don't often, I don't myself write with much like um, like mechanical intent. Like I don't know a lot about like about music i don't know a lot about it like a a theory or anything like that when you say mechanical intent what are you referring to um i mean like how a song like how one would like transcribe a song like what chords go together what defines a bridge Mm -hmm. um the, the the sort of um the technical aspects of a song like just its construction Mm-hmm. Okay. Beyond, but beyond its like emotional content, um, just sort of like how is it going to come together? Mm-hmm. What are the chords doing here? So what am I getting in? in? Mm-hmm. So sorry, I didn't mean to oh, okay. cut off your thought. Um, okay, so by by getting into the songs and covering them, you get even more of an appreciation for how they're flowing and. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, for how they're flowing, and I'll, and I, I don't want to say that like it, it answers any like every question that I might have had about a song. It's not that illuminating, but it 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 helps to think of. It feels good when you're like, okay, I get how this works now, um, and it isn't it's so easy as like, oh, I could do this. But there's a little bit of that too, because then mm-hmm. it's like you know I can take those lessons. And in the future, when it's time, once again, I think, to write my own songs, then I'll have this sort of backlog of experiences with other people's songs to draw from. It's kind of the goal here as well. Yeah, well, I definitely, I want to talk about your new album, which just came out today, which is uh, September 16th, the day that we're taping this. Um, But first, let me, I want to promote your David Bowie cover show, which is going to be at Cafe Mustache on the 28th. That is true. October 28th. Yes. Uh, Chicago has this great tradition of cover bands around Halloween and Cafe Mustache is a wonderful host of said bands. And I'm really excited for your guys. band. Me too. It's going to be wild. Lord knows <laughs> the, <laughs> the year of the diamond dogs. So, okay. So let's, uh, let's talk about your new album. Okay. Weird, Weird like me. Yes. So, there's a lot you know, I was digging into this album today and there's a lot to this album. Um, as as somebody who's just kind of experiencing it freshly, it's not only an album of songs, there's a lot of talent that is in the album because you you wrote everything and you performed everything, recorded yes. it. Yes. So, and it that in itself is very impressive, especially with the way that it sounds. And but there's also this whole concept and story that goes along with the album, um, which is accompanied by some cartoon work that you do, some comic work that you do. Yes. How would you? What, what word would you use? Um, I guess I would call it uh, how I describe the sort of the the. I don't want to call it bonus content because it, it does feel just as important as the record itself. Um, and the illustrated oral history. 
is okay. what I call it. That's much better than what I said. The illustrated yeah. oral history. Um, there's this, yeah, there's this accompaniment to it that really enriches it and also shows this other side of, of what you're doing. And I wondered if you could kind of describe this concept of the album. Yeah. Well, um, it, at its base, it is a, uh, invented record from 1994. It is presented as a sort of reissue of a lost alternative rock record. Um, and with that, I sort of, I invented a story of this lost record, um, told via a, uh, the classic sort of oral history, talking head kind of, uh, style. And I decided to illustrate it too, because I'm also a cartoonist and, uh, at times a writer. And I, and I wanted to do a project that really brought everything together for mm-hmm. once. Cause that sounded, I had never done something like that before. I want to hear more. You want to hear more about about it coming together or just about what um, what it is? I kind of want to hear about what it is. Well, both really, but yeah. Um, I mean, it, there's a way in which it's a series of um, jokes about 90s records. Like I wanted to make sure it had a lot of the things that I remembered about CDs, specifically the CD era of the 90s. So the record is purposefully a little too long mm-hmm. because re- CDs were s- super bloated. Um, so there's 16 gosh darn songs on the record, um, which is, I think, often that's too many songs for, for someone to put on a record. Not saying the songs are bad. It's not a quality thing. Um, definitely did not like, I didn't take that joke so far as to write a bad song to also <laughs> have on the record. What's the running length of the album? Um, it's a, it's about an hour. Okay. It's about an hour. Uh, could have been longer to keep that <laughs> joke going. Could have pushed it to the full 72 minutes, but I didn't, uh, I didn't want to. Um, there's a fake bonus track on the record as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like specifically designed to kind of break the flow of the end of the record. Uh-huh. Cause that was an experience I often had with, um, a lot of CDs of they have they have like oh this is a great record but then there's like the bonus track tacked on mm-hmm. and it's like very jarring after the end of the record it's like totally different than anything else and i want i wanted that um i had cd i got cd's made of this record i've never had a cd before of my own stuff uh-huh uh, so that was another important thing. It had to it had to have a physical component as well. Um, and then with the oral history, I wanted to present it um, in a very sort of uh, digitally rudimentary way, which I will explain because uh, I would not want to leave that phrase uh, unaccompanied. Um, I wanted it to feel like something that. Uh, the feeling of like stumbling around the internet in like good early internet, mm-hmm. you know, sort of maybe a little bit after like AOL keyword, but like that kind of era where you could click the wrong thing and find like just some weirdos monument to their, their one love. And they've written all this stuff and they found all these weird pictures. They've scanned these, their own photos in from their own collection. And they talk about, um whatever uh and I, that's the the feeling i wanted for the presentation of the oral history so it's it's an extremely basic html on my website i wanted to put it on live journal cuz that that would feel like really good if it <laughs> if it had this old platform but i found that live journal is a terrible platform now <laughs> exploring this it's i couldn't get it to look uh it looked bad, bad instead of like wistfully yeah. bad. Is there a is there a visitor counter on your on oh, the page? That's a guy <laughs> should find one. You're right. That is actually a really good idea. Sign my guest book. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Whoever signed the guest book is my question <laughs> for everyone in their mid thirties right now. <laughs> Let me, while we're talking about this, let me just, um, I will put this in the show notes at musictherapypodcast.com too for our episode, but let me just put the website up there. It's anniefish.net backslash weird.html. Heck yeah. 
to go visit it and uh and, and you can and I, I read the whole story this morning. I'll let you continue talking, but I have some questions about the content of the story. Oh yeah. The a surprisingly tragic tale for all that I say that it is a bunch of jokes about the nineties, I think. I mean, you you kind of framed this as such. Um if I can if I can quote you here. The oral history I wrote for the project is in part popping every single balloon of my childhood dreams of rock stardom. Yeah. <laughs> and imagining what the horrors of being trans in the mainstream would have been like in the 90s. And Certainly went, also true. Yeah. So this also feels very much like a psychological exercise for you and kind of coming to terms with, with what exactly? How, how has this felt for you to create this? Well, <clears throat> a lot of it came, I think it got us sort of like, semi-dark as it did just through the circumstances of where I was when I started to write it. Um, like, I started to write it before I had, like, publicly come out or even really personally done it. Um, so there was a little... It started sort of very interestingly having a character named Annie Fish before that was even literally me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I did struggle after I did come out of like, well, is it like too silly to like immediately have a fake person when I'm actually having to like a little bit fight to define my actual personhood? Is it is it too silly? Is it too silly? Yeah, I, I felt the whole thing always felt a little silly to me of making up a record and like making a story up and having a fake thing. I think that comes of like seeing other people worry about what authenticity means in music because I do feel this and it's a very online sort of argument maybe but um yeah I don't really care about authenticity in music I think the whole point is to sort of uh create something from top to bottom and uh I I don't really worry about other people's presentations of the real them thus why should I care about my own and once I sort of freed myself of like really that worry, then it became a lot more interesting to really drive the the oral history part of it, the story like forward even more of like how much can I get away with this uh, this invented character who's really going through the ringer in the 90s. And I guess re the popping the balloons of my dreams once I started to think about like, okay, well, if I did get everything I want, I wanted, quote unquote, mm-hmm. in when I was younger, yet I was trying to live my authentic life, it would, it would be a nightmare in the 90s in popular music with the media landscape of the time. You could not have had uh, an actual like trans musician on MTV. That would have been at the time ridiculous. It would have it would have been uh, portrayed as ridiculous. It would have been sick as heck, IRL. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wouldn't have been allowed to fly. There's a couple. I have a couple thoughts about what you just said. So, I'm thinking about um, you know the the thought about quote authenticity and and whatever art someone's making. And even though this is a fabricated you know, history, it does feel authentic in some ways. I mean, it doesn't feel like it's coming out of nowhere what the Annie Fish character experienced sure. and struggled with. That's fair and probably far more true than I would ever give myself credit for, I think. Yeah, I mean, when I when I really started working on it, I I didn't feel comfortable in myself. I had just come out, but I was in a situation where it wasn't really celebrated in my immediate uh, vicinity. I'm sure that did kind of come out in the sort of setting. And it did. And it it is definitely like a I don't I don't I wouldn't say I use like, oh, the 90s as a as a as a shield. But it is definitely there. There is uh, a connection between the historical closet and the real psychological one that I was a little bit in at the time. Can you expound on that? The closet parts? Yeah, the historical... Um, what did you just say? The historical closet? The horse versus this, the actual psychological one I was in? Yeah, I mean, what do you mean by that? I mean that st- I still felt... When I was really working on this record, at first I was, still felt like I was in 
in hiding. That part of me was in hiding. That part of me was definitely a, a struggle and it and it was hard to uh I didn't have anyone to talk to about it. At the same time I was d- doing all this research about MTV and how like ugly it was and how like mean VJs are to people. Uh-huh. Yeah, like, <laughs> that was a funny part of the the story the uh, the VJ interview. Oh gosh, yeah. I mean, and that just came from like watching a good handful of interviews from the time late at night and being like, wow, these people are real, real monsters. <laughs> but I also felt like I had to forward a lot of sim- similar questions IRL in real life. <laughs> yeah, it, it felt, you know, I don't want to sort of claim a sort of like, oh, yeah, my experience was just like being on television. And the panopticon was on me uh, at all times. But maybe I do want to say that because <laughs> it definitely felt like that sometimes. And, it, and, it, and I think the record wound up being sort of that uh, if I had been working on something else, I think everything I was feeling would have gone into that. It just so happened that I was working on an idea that um, it came together in a perhaps more natural way. Let's take a little bit of a music break here and listen to a song off the album. And this is the the titular track. Ooh, the hit single. This is the hit single. This is Weird Like Me. Can you tell us a little bit about this track before we listen? Um, It really came about as a challenge to myself to write a banger alt-rock single that that you would hear on the radio in 94 and crank it. That was the exact challenge I gave Uh to myself. And when I had done that, I was stunned at how well I had done it. All right, let's take a listen. This is Weird Like Me by Annie Fish. cranked it it was cranked it was cranked i actually did it's interesting we were, were talking about cranking a friend of mine um it, it actually the song was has has been played a few times on chirp radio in town uh-huh and a friend of mine sent a video of him literally cranking it <laughs> and i and it was like wow i couldn't even like design this any better to like fit into the exact you know, like 
project that uh, that I'm making, like actual radio single on the radio. It was it was very it was very cool. That's awesome. Hear. I wanted to ask um, about your, you know, you were you were exploring through this illustrated history what it might have. Let me make sure I'm I'm putting it th- this the right way. Like mm-hmm. being trans in the '90s on MTV, as as you were saying, felt like impossible. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering how how has it felt to you being a musician in the scene in present times? How is that? How are you experiencing that? Since coming back to Chicago and being in a location in which I'm able to surround myself with good people who I respect and admire, I find that it's fine. It's great. <laughs> I have no... Mm-hmm. I'm, I, I've, I don't think I've ever, it rarely that I felt truly like questioned on or made uncomfortable on those grounds. Um, in this town, in this scene, um, and maybe, and maybe it's more than just here, but you know, I, I have to, I limit it, limit it to what I can see. No, I, I, it feels it's, it's, it's just, it just is. It's not something that I mm-hmm. try to think about too much, not in a dismissive way, but in a, I'm not made to. Uh, which is quite um, quite freeing and, and thrilling, even. Yeah, I imagine. Yeah, even recently, um, it, it just seeing people talk about talk about the record in those terms without me guiding it is, I guess it's I guess it's gratifying just to see. It's like, oh yeah, like as much as this weird idea for a record is just assumed to be fine and something someone could do so too is my like actual identity as a person. Um, that's just, it's just another fact. And I like that a lot. You asked a question to yourself in the notes you put uh, before our conversation. And I'm intrigued by this question. Why am I so mean to my old dreams? <laughs> why, why did I choose this flagellation as one of my pandemic projects? What do you mean by that? I th- what I meant by that, I think was just really thinking about I mean, I did, I spent the 2020, I was, I got locked, locked up in, in my parents' house in New Mexico. And in hindsight, it was as good as a time can be in such a bad time for mm-hmm. everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, in hindsight, it was like very fruitful. And I had the time by, you know, default to actually follow through with all these ideas I've been having for years but I felt terrible <laughs> doing anything um, during that time. What was that I, about? One of the things that um, sort of dovetailed with the beginning of Big Virus uh, was me getting out of a real, a real bad time <laughs> relationship. Mm. I had like, big plans. I was like, I'm, you know, I'm free. I'm to be myself and 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 not, you know, live in a psychological a wasteland anymore and I was like I'm gonna move back to Chicago and I'll and I'll be with all my friends again and then uh the world was like no you will not buddy <laughs> man I mean you know happy ending I'm in Chicago now and I'm with all my friends again so uh you know spoiler alert it worked out but in the initial time even though I was like well I guess I have nothing to do but create I still just felt like it just felt like a punishment it's like I'd worked so hard to not die throughout the previous years. And then the the end result of that was just being like stuck in my like actual childhood bedroom, making fake Smashing Pumpkin songs. Do you think that the fact that you were there in your childhood bedroom also just made this a really fertile ground for bringing <laughs> back into the 90s? Yeah, I mean, there's still detritus of my 90s dreams like in that room. Like not everything disappeared once I moved out <laughs> of that. Is your house. never mind poster on the wall or what is still there? I never had a never mind poster. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I mean, if I like went into the garage, I could find I could find like my REM poster. Like it, I know where it is in my parents' garage. Like it's easy to find. Yeah. Like all my CDs are still there, which is a great resource when you're trying to make <laughs> a fake CD. <laughs> I think the project really solidified once I was there, even though I was, you know, being mean to myself about doing anything. 
I still, the fact that I had no one other than myself to really like push me to do it, to make things, um, I think helped. And being in that situation, specifically in terms of like being in that location, I think definitely made it easier to get in the mindset of finishing it up. Because I think I had a lot of the songs done before going to that that house, but a, a good handful more came just like sitting on 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 the cot I had, <laughs> I had moved into the bedroom. The really like the last few songs that gelled the thing together, I think, came in that last in that last part of 2020 working on it. Well so back to the question because I'm not sure that I I I gleaned the answer. Uh, why am I so mean to my? <laughs> why am I so mean to myself to my old dreams? To your old dreams. What do you mean by that? I think that comes with no. I know that comes with thinking about um, the state of being a musician in the current day and being so upset by seeing how hard it is to make it as a musician. Mm-hmm. What even that means anymore? Mm-hmm. Certainly, you have to scale back the actual definition. Um, making, you know, your, your hay pennies every hundred stream, mm-hmm. um, big virus killing touring, and then nothing changing after that in the sort of uh, venue scene, you know, the same sort of predatory deals. And there's just no way to do it um, on a certain level without, unless like your dad is Kevin Klein. Um <laughs> For example, sorry, um, <laughs> <laughs> my dad's not Kevin Klein, but I, I be through that. I think the the connection there was well, it sucks now. I I I definitely started with an idea of like, but it kind of has always sucked in a certain way. Uh-huh. It's just the numbers were bigger. Maybe if like if you had made it, you know, when when in 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 the nineties when record labels were throwing money vomiting money around Mm. uh uh, anywhere it's not like you still had it like made in the shade because then it'd be like okay well we gambled and and lost so now you know you're in the gutter and no one can hear your record because we've buried the rights to it so it was it was thinking about like how the more things change the more things stay the same yeah in the in the music industry i think there are times when I am a little more critical of myself and what the real goal of the rec- the this new record is in terms of that kind of like flagellation or or dream popping. But there are other times when it is like it's it's a good conversation to have about how mean people have always been and how you know there's still these problems in this industry that we don't really do anything with. Yeah. Thank you for talking about that. I've had a little pause. I don't know how to respond to it. I think you said that very well. Okay. Um, so let's, let's take another music break here. Okay. Let's listen to another, another tune off the new album. This one's called Cranium. Yeah. Can you tell us about Cranium? Yeah. Um, Cranium is one of, I, I want to say two songs on the record that, I tried to specifically write in relation to the characters in the oral history. Uh, like Cranium's supposed to be sort of, there's kind of an under, uh, an, a, a between the lines implication that the, the lead singer and the bass player were an item mm-hmm. in the oral history. And Cranium is kind of a song about like, sorry it didn't work out between us. That's the, that's the story of Cranium. Okay, let's have a listen.
All right, that was great. Yeah. Rock and roll. If you had to pick an <laughs> adjective, if if someone, if we made you pick one adjective, would you want this album fill in the blank? This album rocks. This album slaps. This album. <laughs> I would just. Does <laughs> it slap? Does it slap or rock? Uh, what do you I, want? I, uh, it hacks. No, I think it. <laughs> I think it rocks. I think it just rocks. That was the goal. It definitely rocks. Definitely does. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm. This is something I I was talking to before, but you know, as as a therapist who who thinks of things this way, it does really feel like, in addition to this just being a great album and a really creative project as a whole with the the illustrated history it does feel like this way that you're sort of working out and coming to terms with the past you what you thought things or hoped things might look like where you are now given the musical landscapes of you know then and in between and now it really feels like this very creative process of just trying to work through that to me yeah I mean, as you said that, I I think there's a way in which every record I do is that dialogue. I I, I think all the records I make are, are midpoints between something, um, between pulling a thought together. I think the difference with this one is that the the points are based on really recognizable things or existing things like of history instead of just like an intellectual question mm-hmm. that I had. Yeah, that's that's interesting. That's an interesting thought that I just had about my own work. Thank you for <laughs> <laughs> helping me put that together after uh, 25 years of doing it. <laughs> Let me ask this question. If you were giving advice to a young or a new musician starting out, thinking about their own musical goals and what they uh-huh. want to do. <laughs> yeah. What advice would you give? What would I give them? Oh no. <laughs> it's it's very tempting to give the sort of there's a there's a story I think about a lot of uh, a young author saw Philip Roth in a diner and and asked that question of him. Mm-hmm. They're like, what is what's advice you'd give to a young author? And Philip Roth was just like, Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't want to say that. I don't want to say that, even though it'd be quite easy to be like, well, it sucks. Get lost, buddy. <laughs> um, and I'm sure there are people who would say that and 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 truly mean it. I think you got to just do it anyway. You got to just do it anyway. Lord, the way that music, capital M music, is genuinely imperiled is if no one does it, if it disappears. And I think everyone on the planet has something to add to the conversation. And there there shouldn't be any sort of like, uh, you shouldn't let thoughts about like, well, what am I going to do with it ever intrude on your, on your journey of, of music much easier said than done. Goodness knows. Um, So maybe that's the advice is just really try to tune it out and, and do it for you. The audiences themselves and, I think it's cool to 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 please yourself with a tune. I um interviewed an author recently, Exit Stage Left. So we we interviewed the author Nick Duerden of Exit Stage Left, The Curious Afterlife of Pop Stars, which I don't know if you Whoa. Annie have heard of this book. I've not. It sounds uh like it is my alley. I think it is exactly your alley. First of all, we've got a really good episode on it. He was uh an excellent guest. <laughs> so um, that was, what episode was that? That was episode 96, but it's also a really good book. And one of the takeaways from the book was how many of the musicians way past their quote prime after having been spit out by the machine were still making music well into, you know, older yeah. age. And it was like, they couldn't not do it. Yeah. You can't turn the wizard off at a certain point. Yeah. There's actually an interest. So there's a new mo- movie about David Bowie that just came out, Moon Age Daydream. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw it and did not care for it, <laughs> which is perhaps a hot take. One of the exact reasons I really had issues with it was that it kind of implied that that David Bowie, of all people, stopped being creative 
at a certain point. The movie kind of says that it's when he met Iman that he stopped being creative, which is just about the most bonkers thing I've ever heard said. But yeah, I mean, even um, uh, huge artists, quote unquote, past their prime, they don't stop uh, Mm -hmm. often. They try different things or they just satisfy themselves. and And a lot of times that's cool. Like nine out of 10 Neil Young records of the last 20 years are probably bad. But every now and then that guy gets real weird and it's cool as heck. Yeah. Yeah. People are always going to keep, keep, keep doing it. Keep on. Yeah. Keep going. So uh, people who are not Neil Young should also keep going. Here's, here's my last question for you. Okay. How do you define success for yourself as a musician? That that question, I think, is ongoing in me. I think it changes from day to day and album to album. Re- yeah, it depends on how I'm feeling, even. Success in terms of, like, you know, did I, did I, for this record, did I have an idea and follow it through to the absolute pinnacle of its completion? Yes, I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, no half measures taken in this record uh-huh. for perhaps the first time. No corners were cut here. Uh, and on that and on those terms, yeah, success. Absolutely. On the other side, like, is there still a part of me that, you know, wants to be on a, you know, whatever equivalent of 120 minutes is and get like a pie thrown at me at like MTV <laughs> Spring Break and, you know, stage bomb <laughs> Carson Daly or something. Absolutely. Oh, man. Yeah. There's still part of me that, you know, wants to be on OzFest or something stupid like that. Like, yeah. Uh, and I'll, and there'll always be a part of me that, you know, it's like, oh, well, I never made it like that. And that's the silliest part of me, I think, because, you know, as I explored in the Scotch on record, wouldn't have been happy anyway. <laughs> Most likely. Do you feel like you've internalized that? That that feels true to you? That I wouldn't have been happy if I had gotten that success? That perhaps it wouldn't have been as satisfying as your dreams might make it out to be? I think I made myself internalize it just so I don't bum myself out at it. Because I do, one of the, I, a thing I do try to move away from in my day-to-day is really seeing global stardom as actual success like i do have that sort of instinct of like you know if it ain't selling millions it doesn't exist uh-huh. uh like that's still in there and it is very interesting that I, that that thought has any power over me because I, it's quite silly i you don't that's not true i don't think that's true no i don't either and i don't think the music landscape or the music business even you can't support it even yeah yeah you can't do it right yeah, yeah. Today, I have succeeded. And Don't how? ask me tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This album is so good. Um, visit anniefish.net backslash weird.html to, to read the, the oral history and uh, illustrated history. Absolutely. Don't forget the illustrated part. And, <laughs> I also worked really hard on that, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> And your uh, your David Bowie cover band, cover band is going to be at Cafe Mustache on October 28th. Indeed. And your release show is tonight, which will be after... It's, to, it's Saturday. Tomorrow. Night. It's tomorrow. Saturday. Yeah. Night. Saturday night. Yeah. I'll be there. Great. I'll see you there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't wait. It's going to be a good one. Um, I'll have CDs. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to get one. I can't wait to get a CD. Is it shrink-wrapped? Heck yeah. Okay. Is there any uh, protective security devices on top of it? I have to like go Didn't on? go that far. I, I really wish I could have, but that would have been perhaps too great an expense for, yeah, for the so joke. If somebody steals one, then you'll really have made it, I think. <sighs> I mean, if someone really wanted to steal one, I would be honored <laughs> that they like cared enough. It's like if someone like torrented a record of mine, I'd be like, heck yes. <laughs> yeah. They wanted it. <laughs> um, anything else that you want to share with, with us about, you know, any of this? Uh, I think we touched on so much. I couldn't think of anything to add okay. at the moment. We said it all. That's it. Close the book. 
Okay. I want to thank Annie for her time today. That was amazing. I hope you guys go check out the album, support Annie on Bandcamp, and um, I hope you guys are doing well. We'll be back next week. Visit musictherapypodcast.com for our previous episodes and upcoming events. Music Therapy is hosted by Jessica Risker, produced by Sullivan Davis of Local Universe, and engineered by Joshua Wentz in Chicago. Peace and love until I see you again.